Welcome to, this is our, our Christ Lesson 8, Jerusalem and Passover. Um, the hook for this lesson uh, is the Last Supper introduces the new covenant for the rescue of all people, um, for the peop- rescue of the world, for all people. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of story going on, but we're really going to emphasize in this lesson um, the Passover and, um, oh, I'm just blanking all of a sudden. The Passover and the New Covenant at the Last Supper. And so, um, but just to context, to bring it into um, context, uh, we'll, we'll be touching a little bit on what was happening in and around those events. Um, I don't know if you guys had a chance to read. Some of those were bigger chunk, chunks of scripture. But really what I was seeing as I kind of tried to render it down to a bit of an introduction for you guys was, all these stories, it's all about Jesus preparing his disciples and speaking more plainly of things to come. And, and it's mentioned there that his disciples come back to him saying, now you're speaking plainly. And he said, and Jesus says, yes, now I am speaking plainly to you. So he's in his final days on earth before his betrayal and his arrest, uh, which were prophesied about. Um, so these disciples have walked with him day in and day out for a few years now. And so he enters the holy city of David. Um, there's an event called the triumphal entry when he comes in on a colt. Actually, do I have, why aren't I showing you pictures of that? <laughs> um, You're not used to this working. Yeah, I'm used. I'm used to. Uh, da, 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 where are we here? <laughs> Let me find. Do I have any of the colt here? Maybe I don't. But anyways, you can imagine that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's there, Brent. In that one slide, there are all the pictures. The actual photo images. Oh, I th- oh, okay, yeah, the real ones. Keep going, keep going back up. Yeah, there we go. There in the upper left, there you'll see triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So he coming into the holy city of David on a on a colt, a donkey, called the triumphal entry, and this is Jerusalem, the city of David, the holy city. You remember, he it was talked about. You know, there'll be your line when he's speaking of David, King David. Your line will reign eternally, one of your descendants. And so it's interesting how the dots are being connected now. So we're reaching the climax of the story of the, of our rescuer, of our deliverer, Jesus Christ. Um, so it's, it, it's really exciting. There's lots going on here. There's lots you can also uh, teach on. Like, you know, this was one of Craig's and my struggle this week was, uh, what is what do we need to really get here, you know? And we were saying what it boiled down to was the Passover, the Last Supper, and the New Covenant that Jesus was instituting and was going to set up with his kingdom, the kingdom of God, once he returned. Um, but if, and I don't sense this is uh, a struggle for you guys, but uh, if, if, say, you understanding Jesus as king was an issue, we would want to spend more time on him entering uh, the city of David on the triumphal entry and all that was all the details that were there. Um, but it seems to me that you guys have very well grasped that Jesus is King Jesus. Um, and, uh, and then there's details around him being worshipped, uh, being anointed and stuff. But um, yeah, we're just going to hone in, as I said, Passover, primarily with Last Supper and the Covenant. So... <sighs> Come here, mouse. I'm, I'm also navigating two screens tonight, <clears throat> which is a first that I've done this in my life, I think. <laughs> so if you see, if I look like a bobblehead with my eyes kind of bouncing, they are. <laughs> um, so what I'm curious with the questions that I gave you guys, um, a lot of them, I believe, were pretty, pretty similar to the week before. I'm just going to pull them up here. Um, 
was, I was wondering if you guys would be willing just to kind of go around those who had time to dive in a little bit or if, you, if you're good at improv. Um, yeah, we just kind of go around the circle, so to speak, and, uh, and just quickly touch on, just take a couple minutes each, uh, key ideas, words, things that came to mind, questions that you had, and let's see, as we'll kind of tackle that as we go through. Um, actually, right before we do that, just to get our heads in the game, would somebody read the primary passage, Mark 14, um, starting at 12 to 26? Mark 14, starting at verse 12? Please. To how far? To 20, 26, including 26. <clears throat> On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples. He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they pre prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one? He replied, It is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Thank you, Tony. Do you feel like being uh, the first one to spend a couple minutes on things that popped out to you, key ideas or, or words, phrases? We could run a list here and see if there's who, who has overlap of words and then those will be the ones that we can kind of, we'll probably line up with what we end up talking more about. Isn't there a game like that? You got to like come up with certain words yeah. and everyone, what is that called? Quirkle? No. So you get more points, Tony, for everybody that has the same word as you throw out there. And you get negative points if you throw out a word, or maybe it's double points, if you throw out a word that nobody else takes. Yeah, double, double points if, if you have something they didn't have. So there you go. <laughs> no pressure. Well, he, he just read all the words. So I think he went. <laughs> there you go. All right. 
Sorry, I shouldn't put you on the spot there. Maybe, maybe you didn't. Maybe your week was full with other stuff. Would so, anybody else enjoy to do that? I could try. All right. Um. Uh, to sacrifice the Passover lamb. That stood out to me. Um. His directions, just how everything was already prepared for him for the Passover meal on his disciples. Yeah. Like, everything was ready. It happened just as he said. Um, the, uh, with the bread and then the, the cup saying, you know, this is my body and this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many. His, his knowledge that he would be betrayed. Okay. Um, let's see. <laughs> On the end of the foreshadowing of, you know, I tell you the truth, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. Until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God, that his knowledge of his death coming and then his resurrection as well. Yeah, yeah, that that one really jumped out at me as well. I think that's what I my eye got. Okay. It's. Uh... It was interesting to me uh, in verse 19 that each one was greatly distressed at the thought of whether they were the one that might betray Jesus. Uh, and I just think that's, yeah, just kind of stands out to me what, why each one would <laughs> have uh, felt convicted uh, or were they just so... Uh, astonished by that thought uh yeah just uh just find found interesting that each one of the right well asked them asked themselves if uh am i the one yeah and my nfe has saddened and who knows yeah was it uh put on or was it uh genuine sort of like godly sorrow or worldly sorrow There's nothing about Judas that stuck out that made them think he would be it. Right. I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, at this point in time, I don't have the reference off off hand, but he he was already stealing from. He was a treasurer of the disciples, and he'd already been stealing. Um. But yeah, he wasn't busted at this point, so he he hadn't been tipped off, so to speak. Well, and, and later, I forget which gospel it is, but it also says that uh, after the meal where there's all that conversation and Judas goes off, some of them thought he's going to go take, you know, do something for the poor or arrange something else. And so they weren't even suspecting him yet. What else does that other people have? Uh, let's see. Katie might be busy with the baby. I, I don't know, but... Um... Danny, did you have anything you wanted to contribute to that, uh, to the different 
ideas or words and phrases that sort of popped out at you? Did he say my name? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the ones I would say would give other people extra points. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'll just put a check beside each one then. Because, <laughs> yeah, definitely Passover, Passover lamb, blood. But there was this, like, the day when it was, um, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed. Betrayal. Yeah. What do you what are you guys seeing come together here with Jesus as the deliverer? We've already seen him reveal that earlier. What what sort of I, I realize a lot of you guys know this full story, but what are you sort of seeing clenched here in this this far in the scripture? Sort of the dots being connected, if that makes sense. I'm I don't know if I'm asking that very well, but Well, that the time is near, like that we've been looking forward to in the lesson so far. Yeah, the anticipation is is coming nigh <laughs> when it will be turned to actual events. Yeah. What one thing that stuck out to me was in uh, like when Jesus in the triumphal entry part, he comes in and. They, they thought he was going to be, I mean, they thought he would deliver, but he delivered them like from Roman oppression or, or whatever. And then <clears throat> you have in the Last Supper where he's, and the deliverance, deliverance was associated with the, the Passover, right? That sort of deliverance from, from like in Egypt where they got taken out from under slavery to, uh, to, to Egypt by the Passover. And so they sort of associated it with um, with deliverance from oppression. Right. And yet it, but here at the Last Supper, I mean, he's going to die for them. It's, it's deliverance, but it's something different than they anticipated. It's not from, from rulers on earth. It's from... Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it kind of ties in with that previous lesson where Jesus is right side upping things, right? Or, or he's he's introducing he he's changing the concept because yeah you can't blame people for tying it to what they experienced already, um, so he he's trying to reveal the truth of the matter that he's yeah he came into Jerusalem you're gonna deliver us from the Romans you're going to provide you know for our physical needs um, but he wasn't the, the king that they were anticipating based off of uh, history. Yeah, it sort of does it the opposite way. It says by winning a battle, he actually dies, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to park it here for now. Um, let me find my mouse. <laughs> so this might be a good time. We're in the middle of the Passover. Um, as you were saying, the Passover ties back to Egypt. I'd like to play us a, a three-minute video from uh, a group of people called uh, Spoken Spoken Word, Spoken Gospel. Um, let's see right here from the Spoken Gospel. Uh, just gonna I'm gonna cut it a little bit short, but it's uh, just kind of to bring to our minds again the Passover and what how did that all tie together? Just to blow the dust off of our our thinkers a bit. I hope this plays out okay. 
if it doesn't give me a thumbs down or something on your end, okay? Um, you're seeing my screen, right? You are seeing that, that hand up on the box or whatever, the bookshelf? Yep. Okay, all right, here we go. We're dedicated to seeing Jesus in all of Scripture. In each episode, we see what's happening in a biblical text and how it sheds light on Jesus and his gospel. Let's jump in. Nine of the ten plagues have come upon Egypt. Pharaoh, with his hard heart, still will not change his mind and obey. So God sends a tenth and final plague. God says that he is going to punish the Egyptians by bringing death to their firstborns. The firstborn was a title signifying who would carry the family name. In Pharaoh's case, the firstborn would have taken the throne. By cutting off the line, God is saying that this evil, oppressive, idolatrous system of government and worship must come to an end. But everyone in Egypt participated in the worship of false gods and the oppression of Israel. By taking the firstborn, God is saying, I want all this evil to stop multiplying. Like the other plagues, Egypt will be afflicted, but Israel will be spared. But unlike the other plagues, this time God gives a visible sign that distinguished saved Israel from punished Egypt. If anyone would sacrifice a spotless lamb and spread its blood over the door of their homes, God would look at the blood and the punishment would pass over them. But this wasn't just a ritual, it was also a feast. By the people eating their sacrifice, they were forced to understand, appreciate, and enjoy what God was doing for them. This feast would also become the starting point for Israel's new yearly calendar. Every year, they were to remember this gracious act of God and eat the same meal. The story points us forward to what God has done for us in Jesus. The death of the firstborn in Egypt was God's way of saying that this evil must stop. By Jesus dying on the cross, God was putting evil to a stop once and for all. Not only does he disarm the spiritual powers of evil by taking away their weapon for condemnation, he actually stops evil from multiplying within us. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit begins a new work in us. Now we can do good instead of evil. The New Testament calls Jesus our Passover lamb. It was no accident that Jesus' death took place during the time when Israel was celebrating the Passover feast. He was showing that his death was the fulfillment of all the lambs slain to save the people of Israel. Now anyone who puts their trust in what Jesus earned for them, his blood covers them like the lamb's blood covered the Israelites' doors. In the same way, God's judgment passes us over. Christians still participate in the Passover feast today. Whether you know it as the Lord's Supper, Communion, the Eucharist, or by some other name, Christians have been eating this bread and drinking this wine for the last 2,000 years. When we eat this meal, we remember the lamb that was slain that made us so we can be passed over from the judgment we deserved. I pray that the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see the God of grace who passed you over even when you deserve death. And may you see Jesus clearly today as the Passover lamb. Perfect. Jesus is the Passover lamb. I know I cut him off mid-sentence. How rude. <laughs> <laughs> but um, hopefully that just kind of gets the dust off of, of the, the, the story in Egypt and bringing it forward. There was a Corinthians verse. Um, we have it here, the, the Passover event happening during the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was all part and parcel. That was a week event. But this was taking place on the night of the Passover sacrifice. Um, now that we have sort of the, the, the brain juices flowing, can I ask you guys, 
to, to volunteer to describe in your own words what is happening in this story. Just let, let's kind of break it down into, into your own verbiage or, or what have you. Can you just tell me what's going on in this story? The, math, or the Mark uh, 14, 12 to 26 verses. Well, all, all the promises and pictures that were pointing forward to Jesus being deliverer, the deliverer, uh, Jesus was setting up for this is about to happen. That, uh, yeah, that, uh, you know, the wait is over. It's uh, right at hand. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's imminent. And and we get that too with the verse that Brett had kind of highlighted with, "I will not drink of the vine until I come." Where? What verse is that? Um, Twenty-five. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. So yeah, that that imminence, that that anticipation, it's right right there. There's the hint. Anybody else want to want to put it in their own words of th- what's going on in this story? All right, you did a good job, Tony. Nobody else want nobody, nobody else wants to touch it. Well, uh, I was just thinking of this with. Uh... I mean, we, we know the story is the Last Supper, and you know we celebrate communion. But for, for the disciples, this was Passover for them, right? And how God—I mean, the, the video talked about this—but how God integrated these these together. That this festival, this feast, and the, the feast of unleavened bread that follows this is how He ties them together so brilliantly. Um, that they can the symbolism and the, and the imagery that's there. Um, Again, as the disciples sitting there at the table, um, I was trying to imagine myself, you know, again, we're celebrating the Passover, and then Jesus takes this bread and breaks it, and this wine, but he doesn't use the usual, because they, they, they would have had a, a, there was the whole, I don't know if anyone's ever had a Seder meal or not, the Passover meal, traditional Jewish meal, because they have all this, they have sayings, and they have songs, and different prayers, and different points in the meal, and all this kind of stuff, and the, uh, the disciples would have been expecting some of that. Here, Jesus gave some very different words, apart from the traditional, typical Passover, you know, the, the sort of the script they would have used, the things they would have said. So, uh, again, I just think it's quite, quite amazing how Jesus puts a new, puts new meaning, this, this whole new covenant, the new meaning, and what he's going to do. He's just starting to introduce it to the disciples. Um, again, I'm, I'm sure they, they don't fully get it. <laughs> Um, so I just love how I got connects the two together. Yeah. yeah, it's amazingly crafted. You think God did it? <laughs> yeah, imagine that. <laughs> um, 
I'm just wondering if we want to read some of these other verses here too, Craig. Um, I mean, we're, we're hovering around the Passover here. Uh, we've touched on on the triumphal entry. You know, it's interesting. Maybe um, you guys remember when he comes in there, what do they, what do they yell at, or what are they cheering as Jesus comes in? Can you guys recall the story? Hosanna. Yeah. Blessed be you comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah. And it, you get this idea that there was, it was sort of the masses. The, like there was a lot, it wasn't just one or two, right? There was many. And, uh, and then now he's in the upper room and, and he's talking about his death. You know, here he's, he's hailed and praised by seemingly the masses. Um, and now he's talking of his death. So, um, it's going to be an interesting unfolding of events. I mean, this this whole week, you've heard it called perhaps before as as the Passion Week, with with all these events of um, his his uh, anointing and and the Passover feast, um, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, there's just so much happening here again. He clears the temple, um, but you can't help it. You know, get a few more shots in on the on the religious leaders and all that he teaches in the days leading up here. So they're even right. more stirred up. Yeah. Like let let's look at uh, go back up a little bit there in chapter fourteen of Mark, um, and let's read the first two verses just to know what what's happening behind the scenes here, uh, maybe unbeknownst to some at this point in time. Chapter fourteen, verses one and two. It says, "Now the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread were only two days away." And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. So what? He, he just, he, he's going to be praised, or he was praised in the triumphal entry. And what are the religious leaders already plotting about? His arrest and execution. Yeah. Yeah, they're looking to, to, to corner him and... Find a way to execute him. Exactly, Brett. Yeah. So that... Go ahead. Just one thing that kind of stands out in this together is, like, this is all going in the background. It's like Jesus cements his, or further punctuates his, you know, his, him being God and the foreknowledge and that first he has, he tells him exactly how it's going to be for the, um, both for the cult and then for the room where they celebrate. And then he brings up in the midst of the meal out of the blue that he's going to be betrayed by Judas. That's right. Yeah, the, we get a couple a couple prophecies fulfilled there. Um, with, with the man carrying water, that was a unique cultural thing, just to bring in some context. That was typically the role of a woman in that, in that time. So... That was unique. And then, yeah, he told them to go to a cult. Um, do we have that one here? I'm just looking at the promise it's, of the delivered chart. It, it's not, not, not in that chart. No. Not in that chart, but it was. No, it, 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 it is uh, foretold that it would be pieces of introduced in that way. But, yeah, it's not in the chart there. I think it's here, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. The second part of verse 9 of Zechariah, it says, uh, See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
So the one who has salvation, your king. So yeah, you're saying, Brett, the foreknowledge with the donkey, the colt, and then even that they would go to it, and there it was. Um, and that he would be betrayed by a friend. Did you say that one, Brett? Um, yeah, well, not in those words, but yeah, knowing that Judas would be the one to betray him. Right. That or bringing that up. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, he, he mentioned, or it's mentioned back in Psalm 41, verse 9. Do you guys want to go there with me just to proof, proof text me? Psalm 41, verse 9. Hopefully we wrote that down right correctly. <laughs> Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. There you go. Yeah. And that's the one he talks of here in uh, I tell you the truth, the one who betray me, one who is eating with me. Right before the, the, the deeply distressed verse in 14, verse 18. So we see that we see that confirmation take place from back in Psalm, now here in Mark. Um, and then the, the other one that we will highlight, but I don't think we've read it yet, is the, is the sold for 30 pieces of silver, which we'll get to yet. But um, As you guys read read through these stories, what are some what are your initial thoughts and questions that come to mind as you consider the implications and and uh, of all that's taking place? We have the religious leaders in the background plotting to kill him. Um, a couple days before Passover, he's being anointed by a woman with perfume. Um, what are what are uh, some thoughts of implications here? He's introducing this. You guys talked about the blood of the covenant. How about do you have something there, Brett? Well, just kind of a question that came to my mind. I'm not sure if this is exactly what you're thinking of, but um, if I were somebody new, or if I was one of the disciples, not knowing the future, just wondering, like, did the disciples truly understand what Jesus was talking about when he references the bread being his body and the wine blood is the new covenant? You know, did they understand that at that time? Right. I mean, what what would have been tying together in their in their mind? Like, they're used to the sacrificial system, so what would they be thinking? What would their thoughts be? As he mentions that, I, well, I think they would maybe start to get um, or have this picture of when he says, "Like it's my body," and saying, "This is my blood." They would. I would start to get them to think along that line, but I wonder if potentially they would have been pretty shocked to hear that at first. Right. Yeah, he's drawing drawing a pretty tight parallel to being a sacrifice, isn't he? Yeah. And some have uh, brought in an additional angle that when a man was 
in a sense, proposing to a, a woman, uh, he would uh, pour out, uh, pour a glass of wine and give it to the woman and saying, you know, this is the blood of my covenant with you, a covenant, a marriage covenant. Uh, and the idea behind that pouring the wine is that I'm willing to give up my life for for you. And uh, and then if the woman you know, took the wine and chose to drink it, she is saying that yes, I'll I'll take your life um, and I'll give you my life as well. And uh, and so in a sense, the symbolism of uh, Jesus being the uh, well, we, we being the bride of Christ, Jesus was in a sense perhaps proposing, um, represented by the the twelve, uh, proposing to his bride. And then by asking them to drink, he's saying, saying that, yeah, will you agree to be my bride? Uh, but symbolic in that is um, the, you know, willing to go to the death for your, your bride. Hmm. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not sure that would be the, the symbolism that they would have caught from the Passover meal, necessarily. But I mean, it's as as believers now. That's something, and that that image, the bride and the groom, is very much in, in some of the further teachings in, in the New Testament. But the, like the bread and the wine had very significant meaning within a Passover meal. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone's ever studied that. That's, that's one of the things that came to my mind when I was reading this. Like, why is this happening now? So when Jesus uses the bread and the wine, like, why did he use those? Um, there's if, if you're if you're familiar with this if you ever ever studied the again a Passover meal, there are four particular times when the when when the cup or the wine is is used, and there's different blessings and different things mentioned to that. Um, again, they have meaning. There's there's four phrases. Where is it here? I I will bring out. It's from Exodus six. I will bring out again the people of Israel. I will deliver. I will redeem, and I will take. So four different points in the meal. Um, those phrases are used, and it's all related to the cup of wine. Um, they would have a cup of wine at that point when they say these certain things and remember certain things specifically from the Passover. Um, and even the bread, and very symbolic of, there's a, where's the passage? Deuteronomy 16, there's a place where it was referring to the bread of affliction. So, I mean, what Jesus is my body broken. There, there's the, in that, there. Jesus is associating himself with, again, back to the Passover very directly. I mean, he, just before, I don't know, just before they entered Jerusalem, or just while he's in Jerusalem, I forget exactly the timeline there, but he reminded his disciples again, like, I'm going to be handed over, and I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be killed, be put to death. Um, I think it's, it's in John where he talks about, I have to be lifted up. Yeah. Um, more specifically, so... Again, the symbolism of the fact going back to the lamb and the sacrifice and the deliverance that God is giving is very much tied into the bread and the wine. Again, going back to the Jewish culture and the Passover meal. 
Yeah, there's much bound up in the in the covenant of the blood. I, there's the other verse there, um, Craig. Too, you had in Exodus uh, 24, you know, tying well, it back, yeah, yeah. tying it back to yeah. Moses. Sorry, go ahead. Well, well I was going to say, yeah, because Jesus does two things. He's 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 to Passover, which is very, it's a very specific feast at that time that they're celebrating, but he brings in this new new idea of a new covenant, which is like, what is that? Um, and which, which you know, goes back to what, what are the old covenants? Let's. <laughs> what, what do they already know? This might be a good place, Craig. I might play the uh, yeah, that that the we listened to this several months ago, uh, the covenant one. But because we're diving into a covenant, uh, a new covenant that Jesus talks about, and he's turning things over, or he's right side upping things. He he's revealing something new here. So let's watch um, the Bible Project uh, five minute video on on the covenants, again, just to refresh our mind and then just see what Jesus is now announcing um, through the blood of the covenant that he will institute. So grab your popcorn, five minutes. I'm going to cut it off at, uh, yeah, five <laughs> minutes spot on. So you lose 45 seconds. <laughs> Been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend or your father or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many. And he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in the covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah, saying, Listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. 
The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel and obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the New Covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus, is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who is able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David, and so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. That's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who are becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. Hey, this is Tim. Cool. Here you, Tim. <laughs> Producers, there's two of them. Um, pretty cool, eh? I love that one. Um... Covenant, an agreement between God and man, and yet him being all-knowing and sovereign knows that man's not going to ever keep up their end of the deal. But being faithful, God delivers. And, and as you, as the video so well put there, it's like they showed how Jesus fulfills, fulfills these covenants perfectly. Um, so here we are in the middle of Mark. And, and we're hearing the first time the, the mention of this new covenant, the covenant, uh, where to go? Covenant of, of my blood. It, it's it's going to reverse their thinking on, like you were mentioning, Brett, the, the bread and the wine, the blood and the body and the, the sacrifice. So yeah, how's this going to work? We thought you were coming to be a king of one sort. You're going to be a king of another sort through this covenant. Um I'm sure they were overwhelmed in, in just trying to piece it together. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on there before um, 
rolling on to the next event here in Gethsemane. Well, I was just uh, wondering if there's uh, uh, any connection between the, the bread in the Passover with the unleavened bread that uh, people were, I'm not sure if they were told to not have leaven in their bread or they had to leave in such a hurry that they couldn't put leaven in the bread. Um, but there is kind of a correlation between uh, unleavened bread and deliverance in Israel. Is that at all uh, pictured in the, the bread or not? Or possibly? Yeah, I think... Go ahead, Craig. <laughs> I, I think... Uh, well, I'll let you finish here, but um, the part that I was going to contribute to was just the, the idea back in Exodus when it was to be eaten in haste because of their deliverance that was going to happen. There was a tie in there, right? There's not, like mm -hmm. you t said, the time for it to rise and uh, and that it was to be eaten quickly. Um, I mean, and there was other things all tied into the to the timeline there, like, you know, that they were to, weren't they to eat it with their sandals on and, and, and kind of ready to run, so to speak, their, their staffs close at hand. Um, and so here on this week of it's it's gonna they're gonna have that same taste so to speak. Go ahead, Craig. Yeah. Well, and, well, I mean Moses he, he institutes then the remembrance of this for Israel. Like remember every year this is one of the annual festivals, the the festival of of unleavened bread. So that carries on. They're, they're not allowed to have, have any leaven in the house and all that kind of stuff for that week. So unleavened bread can care, continues to be part of this tradition for the Jews. Um, again, reflecting back to that deliverance that God provided for them in that, um, remembering what happened there in, in Egypt, to get out of Egypt. You guys want to? Sure that, that's what you're wondering, Tony, or not? Yeah, yeah, that was, that's, yeah, that's what I was wondering about. I don't, I don't, have, I don't have the reference right in front of me right now, but there's a again, it's where Moses gives the instruction. It's um, an Exodus somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look that up. Um, I, I read it this past week, but uh, yeah. Anyways, what? Yeah, Moses gives instructions for people to remember. That's right. Let's uh, let's continue in the scripture here, you guys. Uh, uh, to verse thirty-two, we'll read the next ten verses. If somebody else would like to read that for us, Mark fourteen thirty-two to forty-two, uh, transitioning um, from the from the the, the Last Supper. Um, Jesus predicts Peter's denial just before that, three, you know, before the rooster crows, three times you will deny me. Um, and then we jump into Gethsemane here in verse 32. So somebody would pick that up for me, 32 to 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. 
Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Thank you, Janet. So what, what's going on here? What is, what is Jesus experiencing? The, um, I guess the anticipation of what is to come. Yeah. And, and what are you seeing? What are you seeing of Jesus here? His humanity in that there is the fear of physical suffering. Totally. Yeah, yeah the, the natural aversion to it. Yeah. But then also his um, being God and his um, communication with the Father, the relationship there, and then also his perfect submission to the Father's will. Yeah. To go through with that death. Exactly, yeah. Who else would like to contribute? What are you What are you seeing of Jesus here? I mean, he, he's at the garden here, the garden or the area of Gethsemane. I, I I'm right there with you, Brett. I see, I see his humanity in a huge way as he falls to the ground, and and he uses words like, "If possible, take this cup from me." Um, and it even says he did not know what to say. Wait a second. Is not Jesus God and is not God all knowing? Uh, but right there, did not know what to say when he came back to his, to his disciples sleeping. Um, we see humility. You, you said as he submitted there to his will, um, Abba, he cries out to God as Abba, dad, uh, father, everything is possible for you. Not, not what I will. So there's a, a, a submission there. Um, and holiness, you know, the son of man set apart. Um, it, it's, yeah, we see it all right here. Like the, the distress in his human sense, the, yet being fully God, knowing what was going to come, knowing that the, not only what was going to come, but all the fullness of what was about to come, the, you know, there's going to be a separation that takes place, a, a, a wrath, a turning, um, yeah, it's, you can really sense here, as it says, my soul, as I have in the projection here, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. You, do you not get that heaviness? I mean, have yourself there with the disciples. It's like here Jesus is deeply troubled and distressed. I mean, we don't see this. I don't think we see this yet, have we? I mean, he was in a storm with his disciples and they're going to think they're going to die. And he's like, yawn, be calm, storm, you know, and... <laughs> And uh, here he's just in a garden and I'm sure his disciples are like, wow, but what are his disciples doing three times? 
Sleeping. Snoozing. Yeah, snoozing. And did you guys ask yourself, why did Jesus go back and forth three times? Like, for me, it would have been like one time and like, fine, thanks for nothing. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I just am throwing it out there as a speculative uh, response from you guys. Why, why did he do this three times? Repetition is typically an indication of something in the scriptures, but I'm wondering if there's more, more there. Oh, I wonder if that would, well, repetition is pretty important. And then could it be, as we see, you know, like after Adam and Eve sin, and um, with Cain and Abel, that God reaches out and gives another chance to them? Hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just was, as I was rereading that and combing over it, I was like, that's odd. Like, I know it's important because he's stressing it, but um, and then I was just trying to ask myself, well, what, what was he stressing? Like, I think you hit on a good point there, Brett, of, of chances, right? Another chance to be watching and praying. And, and is it not emphasizing the importance to us today, perhaps, of watch and pray, be on the lookout, be on guard? And because uh, there is one that seeks to devour, to kill, seek, kill, and destroy, um, and to pray. Yeah. I, I, I wonder about if it has something to do with, like, Peter had just said that he wouldn't deny him, even if the others do, I won't. And yet, here he is being told to stay awake and he can't stay awake, he falls asleep. Like, he's. His and then Jesus says the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. It's kind of it's kind of what happened to Peter. I mean, he wanted to do the right thing, or he wanted to, but his flesh was weak. Right. Yeah. And there's that warning of uh, that you made an entrance to temptation. Yeah. Kind of along with that. He's 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 yeah. Trying to prepare them. Trying to warn yeah. them. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. Jesus but, knew what was coming. Brett had said the idea of it gets like Jesus giving multiple chances, but also it shows that even though we get unlimited chances from God, we can still fail over and over. And then at the end of the passage, it doesn't say, are you still, it says, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. It doesn't say get away from me. It says, rise, let's go. So he still takes them with him, even though they failed him after he gave them them three chances. Yeah, thanks, Katie. Yeah, if, you, if you've read this uh, recently in, in the Luke account of this, but even um, right back to sort of how you were describing you know, Jesus' humanity here, but uh, he was so much in agony that it, it's, it's described that uh, as he prayed earnestly, his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. With the intensity of what was going on. Mm. Um, and it, it described there as well that an angel came and, and strengthened it. So it's uh, just how intense this was for Jesus. Um, and in the midst, he's still taking care of his disciples. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to watch out for them too. Yeah. Yeah. The pray. It's interesting. He tells them to pray that you don't fall into temptation. It's kind of like, what is Jesus thinking of here? The temptation to turn back on him? Temptation to wonder what he had in mind precisely. Yeah. So 
So, well, go ahead, Brad. Oh, well, just thinking um, when how you pointed out um, when he's anticipating the uh, separation to come, and where it says like his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. But to me, it kind of gives the picture that he was more troubled about being having that separation from God, the Father rather than the physical suffering. Yeah, I'm there with you too. Yeah. I mean, we know that we know the rest of the story others before him and with him would go through the same physical suffering. That was a yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but the the crucifixion was a form of execution. It's not like he was the only one to ever endure it. So I think I think you're hitting the nail on the head with the, this, the relationship with God the Father that was going to be impacted. Has anybody, did anyone have time to read uh, John 13 to 17? Those four four chapters out of curiosity? I'm not, not trying to put anyone on the spot here, just wondering if, if somebody has, if they'd be willing to sort of, uh, you know, kind of render that down into their own words in, in a few, a couple paragraphs or whatever. Yeah, those two chapters. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah, just those few. You know, hit hit the highlights. This is practice for hitting the highlights. I don't want you going down in the valleys here. You know, just keep it, keep your the 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 pants girded up or whatever. <laughs> and and if not, that that's fine. I'm willing to do it. I just wanted to give opportunity. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't see it on my list. <laughs> oh, did I not put it in there? I might not. Yeah, John 13. Okay, I just gave a specific one. All right, sorry. <laughs> Asking for something I did not ask to do. <laughs> well, see if this thing writes that one for you, Brad. Yeah, okay. What, which one did I give you? 13 what? <laughs> 21. Third John. 1321. Okay, go for it, Becky. What, what did I... What is said there? He said, Jesus is troubled in spirit. And he said, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Right. So who's he referring to there? Judas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even in verse 26 there, as it just hones it in a bit, the one who whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. I think that goes back to, um, is it Psalm, Psalm 46, 64? I'm dyslexic today. Yeah, you took me. Psalm 41, verse 9. Um, when it speaks of, we can go there. Again, another, another prophecy. We, we don't highlight all of them in our chart, but... 41.9 Even my close friend whom I trusted whom I shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I guess we read that earlier but um, yeah just another fulfillment here coming coming through. Well it is interesting if you have time later to read read uh, these chapters here uh, kind of all involving uh, where he's at in in the account in the biblical account. it, it's uh, it's pretty amazing, Brett, that all those chapters. I mean, in 
in the other gospels, it's just a, a, you know, a few paragraphs. Here's the, here's the last supper. Um, here's the upper room stuff. And yet in John, there's all these chapters. This is all happening during that last supper. Yeah. I mean, if you just put like it's, it's all the, and it's all these things, all this teaching that's happening that Jesus is giving encouragement, warnings, it's a variety of things that Jesus is doing here. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing and, and to, to realize it's all happening in that upper room. Yeah, if you just flip through the headings there, it kind of gives a, a really concise summary of, um, well, we already did his denial, uh, or sorry, betrayal, and then denial in 13 after washing his disciples' feet. Um, in 14, he comforts, as, as Craig was saying, his disciples. He tells, and I want to hone in on 14 verse 6 there, uh, Jesus being the way to the Father, says, he answers them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, and then there's a, he's talking of the Holy Spirit, that he's promising that an advocate will come. Um, that when he leaves, he's not with them much longer, but he will send one to comfort them, and that they will be troubled. So he also assures them, like, there's things that are going to come, but I know they're going to come, and you can be, you can rest assured um, because you'll have a counselor. And then uh, talks about remaining in him and the vine and the branches, the world hating the disciples and the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, so yeah, it, it's just incredible as Jesus speaks plainly to them and, uh, and they just receive these words as an encouragement, I see. Um, but it, yeah, in verse, verse four, chapter 14, verse six, sorry, I'm tripping on my words. Him, him being very clear here as being the way, the truth and the life. Now he should really be, all the disciples should really be honed in there at that point. He's, he's making it clear as day that no one comes to the Father except through Him. Not only is God with Him, or has God empowered Him, but He is the way to God. Um, and anyone who loves Him will obey His teaching, and, and His kingdom come will, will occur. Um, where am I at here? So, as we want to bring this down to uh, I guess maybe implications for, for us today. Um, I'm not jumping ahead too fast here, am I, Craig? Just taking it to thinking about it yeah, and some implications. I, I, I think yeah, I think you're. I mean, yeah, when you when you talked about that John 14 passage as you were describing that, I mean that really jumped out for you, and I think it really ties nicely with as Jesus is introducing this this idea of the new covenant. Um, again, what he, again, what he's praying for, even in the in the garden. But it's like this is what it's you know I'm the way the truth and the life, and it's getting a little making aside this this rather conceptual abstracting of this new covenant that again the disciples aren't they're not going to understand yet um, even that this is my body broken this is my blood spilt out Jesus is making it a little more tangible here as he's putting words like this in, in, again in this setting you know, I am the way the truth and the life this is what the covenant this new covenant is going to be about. So yeah, you have to try and try and connect those dots there with that yeah. part of it. I think it's a great verse that you that you wanted to highlight here, Brent. So yeah, I think I mean you try and put yourself in their shoes. It's been one way for hundreds of years at this point in time. There's been the sacrificial system, the lamb, the scapegoat, uh, the blood of the altar, the you know the incense uh, offering. I mean, just all this Levitical law for your 
parents did it, your grandparents did it. You put yourself there and this guy is like giving you kind of the inside scoop. It's going to change. There's a new covenant coming. It's me. I'm the way. And so it's easy for us again to sort of see the whole picture uh, but to be there and and think of think of the those disciples of his getting it sort of for the first time can you imagine you think you think of the the number of animals you think of the the blood that used to flow you know in in the temple for the remission of sins for the atoning of sins um and that was going to come to that chapter was going to close it was all designed to point one direction and it was to Jesus. And he's saying it to these guys. Um, so yeah, it's like, do you accept it? Then obey me. And that, that will be loving God the Father. And that will be following my way. Uh, my way th- being the only truth and being the only life. Um, so a- as we want to apply this to our life, and um, I think as, as I was trying to think about it for myself of... Um, a contrast point. What are what are ways I was asking myself that what are other ways that I look to or other truths or other sources of life that I look to or, or people in my you know culture, circle of influence, um, that try to answer life's problems with or or dilemmas or you know, I'm going to find myself kind of thinking. What yeah. Maybe let's ask it for sort of broader first. Let me put that out there for you guys. What what do you think people talk about for being other ways, other truths, other other full life um, opportunities? Follow your heart. Yeah. that's a that's a big one i i've heard it so many times believe in yourself right that's a whole like mantra now (laughs) yeah there's a song uh i think it's back in the 50s or 60s uh although this frank sinatra i did it my way Mm. oh yeah that's not true yeah (laughs) (laughs) thinking that they could navigate navigate it on their own How about how about the post millennial take on truth, or sorry, not post millennial, po- post modernist uh, take on truth? What truth? There is no truth. <laughs> Are you certain about that? <laughs> is that a true statement? <laughs> or is relative? Yeah. 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 Or that there are many ways, and they all get to the same destination. Ooh. Yeah. Or maybe there's even many destinations. Yeah. Great. <laughs> right. Some think it's too uh, too um, judgy to to think that there's just a heaven and a hell. Maybe it's maybe we all find our place, right, on a star or uh, a sort of uh, regeneration or. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming, coming, coming back again, Brent. Yeah, so it's okay. Yeah, reincarnation. That's the word. Yeah. Try and make it better the next time. <laughs> totally. And I, I think 
let, let's start circling in a little closer to home here. Like, for me, I think, I know Jesus is the way. I know he's the truth. I know he is the source of all life, the giver of life, uh, the sustainer of life. Um, but I know that I can let little distractions, little lies sneak in there. And it's not necessarily that it's overwhelming or t it dominates, but, you know, I think sometimes I can check my heart when I get, uh, when uh, maybe my anxiousness rises, my anxiety rises over something physical that I'm told by a doctor, for example, or, um, yeah, kind of feeling like maybe, maybe I do, maybe Jesus saved me because I do got a, I mean, I don't have a lot to offer, but, you know, I got a little bit to offer, you know, that like, is he not the way and the only way? Yes, of course he's the only way. I don't bring anything. I don't, I wasn't worthy of saving, you know, um, by my own uh, innate, whatever, character. How about you guys? What do you, as I'm talking, what, what's uh, bouncing around for you on, the, on this verse, 14, verse 6? This is a little bit, it's going to another passage as well, if that's okay. There's forgiveness for that. Okay. <laughs> um, on the, when Jesus makes the entry and you know, his disciples are praising him, the crowds are, and the chief priests say, you know, Jesus, you know, stop your disciples, do you hear what they're saying? And he says, if they were silent, even the stones would cry out. Right. And just what kind of hit me there was that God will be glorified regardless of our choice. However, it is like it's a privilege to glorify him. Hmm. Yeah, an honor. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not, uh, we're not slaves to do that, but. It's an honor. The fact that he provides a way at all <laughs> is his huge grace and love. When the, there was really no way before, that at best was the sacrificial system that still fell short. It says that the old covenant, where it, what it failed to do, um, the new covenant would, would take over and be so, a fulfillment of so much more of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think for me that this when I, when I was looking at that, um, well, some of the, the cover that video that you showed there that uh, how you know God's promises, our commitments, and how we just fail, we fail, and uh, when Jesus uses these words, "I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life," it's not about what I can do. Uh, even the disciples, how often they were, you know, three times they, they kept falling asleep and they kept messing up, and um, it's not about what I can do. Uh, it's what, what Jesus is is well. I mean, what he's going to do here in the, in the story, but you know what what he's what he's what he's accomplished for us, and me just submitting to that, and 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 finding rest in that, and peace in that, and the life in that. Um, because yeah, it's, it's what he's doing. Um, it's what he's done for us. So and for me, I, I mean, I, I like to be active. I like to work. I like to do stuff, which. You know, there's strength of that, but boy, I can, I can rely on my own strength at times too. And, 
And uh, sometimes you'll wonder who, who's, who's actually doing this. Is it me doing this or is it God doing this sometimes? And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's sort of what, what came to mind as I was, as I, as I was, you know, thinking through this passage of what, what's for me, what's God trying to show me in this. Yeah. Yeah. It's his work. It's what he's done. Um, I find that, uh, where the Christian faith has taken root in a, a land, that that land is more likely than any other faith system to allow for a pluralistic society or freedom of religion where you can come to the country and uh, believe something else, in a sense, you know, be wrong about God. And that as long as it does not uh, necessarily create obvious harm on others, it's allowed. Mm-hmm. But that pluralistic mindset, uh, after a while, can uh, start to forsake the root, the Christian roots that allows it to exist, where now the pluralistic uh, mindset becomes the dominant uh, mindset where that pluralism is worshipped rather than God and that the idea of someone claiming to be the way, the truth, and the life now pluralism goes and looks at that and say how arrogant and uh, full of discrimination and uh, condescending is your religion. Mm-hmm. And yet it's that very religion that allows for the opportunity for other faiths to uh, to exist among it. Not saying that the other faiths are right, but just allowed, like, you know, just the idea of freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. And, and you touch there with uh, that is a very hard truth for people to accept that Jesus would say something so seemingly narrow. Yeah, and I can find myself even slipping into uh, that mindset where, um, like, I just remember, you know, sharing, you know, some of the material uh, in Whitehurst Correction Center and something very, uh, you know, something said in a video that's very. Uh, very blunt that says, well, if Jesus is the way, other ways are wrong, and just find myself feeling uncomfortable with that, whereas I should be saying, amen, you know, glad that these guys are here them, but just kind of wonder, oh, I'm wondering how this is coming across. <laughs> yeah. So, as we just sort of cap it for tonight a little bit or start to, to wind it down here, I just want to want to kind of highlight um, highlight what we've learned and, and see if there's something we want to throw out or something w- wants to push against before we sort of conclude. But um, as we look at, at our triune God, God the Father, uh, God the Son, the Deliverer, and, and God the Holy Spirit, um, we see that God is faithful to his promises. We've seen the, the prophecy chart have a couple more things uh, filled on it. Um, betrayed by 30 pieces of silver and um, riding on a colt. And what was the other one there? Yeah, betrayed by a friend, sorry. 
So we see these things happen. So we know that God is faithful to his promises. And, and then we, he has, he's pointing forward from the Passover to the new covenant. Um, and, and God is faithful. So then with Jesus, we see that he came to do what was said to be done of him. Um, and he talks of this new covenant in the blood. He is the Passover lamb. All this, all the symbolism is just falling into place now. He's saying he's the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You will love the Father if you obey my commands and all that I've taught you. I've taught you everything that the Father has taught me. Um, we've learned about the Holy Spirit, this advocate who will come when Jesus goes. And it will be given to those who believe in Jesus and obey what he taught in the new covenant. And then with people, we saw their frailty. The, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We see their doubt. We see Peter um, that foretold that he will deny Christ. Um, so, yeah, there's, again, we see, remember that chart, how God is unlimited in sight and knowledge and how humanity is so limited in un understanding. Well, we see that at play here. Um, and it's only by, by God that they are kept. And then we see... The enemy at play, Satan, God's enemy, how he deceives Judas. He enters Judas um, uh, to, to carry out this plan against, against Jesus. Um, and then the kingdom of God. We, we continue to hear more about that, that it's obeying all that Jesus taught, which his father had told him and, um, and, and adhering to that. Um, anything else? What else that we touched on tonight that, uh, or that we learned tonight? question but it came at, it came to me after we were done talking about the Passover meal that's okay rewind why did they not why did they not eat any Passover lamb no didn't they usually eat eat a lamb at the Passover meal it doesn't mention it it does say like while they were eating he took bread and wine so I kind of wonder there what were they eating um, it, it, it would have been part of their tradition to have lamb there too. Like, that's part of the traditional meal. So, I mean, it, it, it's, this, this is the, the, there's the bitter herbs. There's again lamb. There's other there's the foods I forget that they have as well. So the whole seder place. Um, so maybe that's just assumed yeah. that they would have that, Becky. Yeah. What? Maybe it's assumed that because they're just following in the, tra in the tradition, it's not mentioned well, explicitly. That they, they that maybe they had it and didn't mention it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, that, that that would have been the the main tradition of that meal is uh is part is a lamb. So I can study that farther though to see if that's the case or not. I assume that that they were just following the pattern because it was the feast of unleavened bread. He told them to go prepare uh, for the meal. So like, kind of explicitly the meal. Yeah, I, I don't think the Gospels describe it beyond that. Again, yeah, the only food you hear talked about is the bread and the wine. But it's in, it is the the I think the hint there is where it says, while they're eating, he took bread and yeah. broke it. So, in my mind, that suggests they're eating something else. Yeah. Um, okay. So, is there is there anything of these truths tonight that you guys find hard to accept? Or have you guys, I mean, I know a lot of you guys have been walking with Jesus for a lot of years. Um, is there anything that you see in your own heart that you need to push a lie out with a truth that's been more clearly brought to you tonight by God's Spirit? 
I mean, and feel free just to take that question forward with you uh, as you go this week, just prayerfully. And uh, yeah. and I'll just challenge you. What uh, what uh, what are you going to take for this week to wrestle with? I mean, we, none of us have exhausted these passages in our life yet, nor will we. I don't believe. Um, I, yeah, I just ask you, challenge myself too, just to pray, Lord, what would you have me to do as I seek to follow you obediently in these passages even? You know, what is, what is the Lord leading you guys to do this week through what we've learned? So the, la the last reminder of our hook here, the Last Supper, the Passover introduces a new covenant for the rescue of all people. Pretty awesome truth, a truth that we get to live in fully that we've seen um, fulfilled entirely now um, and yet we have more to look forward to uh, as believers and that's very exciting um, do you guys have any questions or final thoughts before before uh, wrapping up for the evening could you go to that slide that has the three main uh, uh, points like uh, Jesus is welcomed by some rejected by many Okay, just wanted to get that last one yet here. Jesus submits to God's painful plan of salvation. Any final thoughts, Craig? Not sure that any, anything beyond what you were sharing there, Brent, so um, that's good. Just one thing that stood out for me in Exodus 11 and 12, where how they're commanded to keep eating the Passover feast, so you know, when one of their descendants asks, they can say this is like a reminder when the Lord rescued us from Egypt. Yeah. And just um, emphasizing the importance of it and then highlighting too how forgetful we as people are. Mm -hmm. And I can see that in myself too, that you can forget the magnitude of the sacrifice that Jesus made for the forgiveness of sin. It, it, it can become more head knowledge without the full impact of what it was. Mm. Yeah, the no in a sense, the novelty wears off. Yeah. Can. Yeah, let's... And our, uh, and let our communion is... That's... Uh, been repeated you know jesus said do this in remembrance of me so mm -hmm. kind of like how they were supposed to remember the passover pointing forward to jesus now we are to take communion take the bread and and the cup to remember back what jesus has done to us done for us yeah yeah and, and i think bread has it right there with because we have this tendency to forget <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> So, he has us remember to do these things. May the Lord lift COVID soon enough so that we can assemble for the Lord's Supper soon. Yeah. <laughs> Would someone like to pray for our time that we just had and uh, for, for the remainder of what's ahead of us? Sure, I'll pray <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Let's, let's, let's pray. God, we thank you that, uh, again, you are our God, and that uh, from the very beginning, uh, from when you made us, again, you knew what 
food that you like and that you still need to anyways. You love us. And uh, again, thank you for, for your plan to, to save us. Thank you for, for Jesus coming, for submitting to the plan, this, this, this painful plan of salvation, and, uh, and that we can have life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, God, this is good news. And help us to, to remember, uh, even as we finish our day right now, as we finish our day and come, prepare for tomorrow and the coming days, that we would, we would have you as our, our life. Um, again, each of us here and there are those in the church and the community and great family, friends, others that we can think of, God, that, that need to know you and, and the hope and the peace and, and the, the life and the joy that comes in knowing you. Mm-hmm. And so, again, from us embracing that and, and living that and, and living in that, and then being able to share that with others, God. So help us to do that well. So again, we thank you. Thank you for your, your love. Thank you for the gift of your spirit and the gift of life. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.